Today's episode is brought to you by VAWA. That stands for Vacation with an Artist. It's a curated online platform that lets creatives of all types book mini apprenticeships with master artists and craftspeople in 23 countries worldwide. Anyone can choose an artist from the site and spend four to seven days immersing in the daily life of the artist, learning a new skill or collaborating on a project. From block printing in India, natural textile dyeing in Vietnam, or mandala weaving in Spain, your creative vacation awaits. So check it out at VAWA, that's V-A-W-A-A, Com. Thank you so much, Vala. And now, here's the show. of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about goal setting and getting things done with my guest, Elise Blaha Kripe. Elise Kripe lives with her husband and two young daughters in San Diego, California. She's been sharing thoughts and DIY projects online since 2005, running an online shop of handmade goods since 2008, and in 2015, she launched Get to Work Book, a day planner and goal-setting journal. Her book, Big Dreams, Daily Joys, a guidebook to goal setting, productivity, and finding more space for the things you love, just launched this October. Elise Blaha Kripe, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on the show, and congratulations on your new book. It's so exciting that it's finally out in the world. Yes, exactly. It feels like it was a lot of buildup, and then now it's so great that people actually get to read it. I'm not just writing it, so much yeah. more exciting. Do you yeah. feel different, like having a book? I know when my first book came out, which was a very different kind of book. It was a book of sewing patterns, but either way, when it was mm-hmm. actually out in the world, I just, I definitely sort of weirdly felt different. Yeah, I think it's easier to explain when people are like, "What do you do?" It's easier to say, "Oh." You know, I write, I wrote a book like I like the normal everyday people who aren't necessarily on Instagram understand what that means more than all the other random things like I tied together for so many years. Yeah, it's very easy to like see here in Barnes and Noble. It's this. This is it. Yeah, Yeah, it's like a tangible proof that you do something. Um, What's funny when I took my girls to the bookstore, though, I was like, you know, here's mama's book, you know, and then they see another book that we have at our house. And they're like, oh, look at this. Like, they have this book too. And so I don't think they have any understanding. Like, to them, it's just a book that we have, which is which is fun. Right. Yeah, totally. Although for my mom, it was significant, right? Like, yeah. there, it's there um, in and amongst other authors. And that meant something for her. For sure. Yeah. So, and was writing a traditionally published book? Because you've written another book that was, you know, (laughs) self-published. But was writing a traditionally published book a goal that you had wanted for yourself? It was. It it was something that I didn't – I love books. I love to read. And to me, it's, you know – the coolest thing to write a book. And so for a long time, I resisted the idea, like, who am I? Like, why would I get to write a book? Like, I felt very imposter syndrome about the whole thing. Um, But finally, like when I committed to this, like when I knew that I, that goal setting was something I really wanted to talk about when I started to feel like uh, I had enough to say about the topic, then it was a huge goal. And um, it felt, it felt different than self-publishing because I had, you know, an editor who cared. I had someone behind me. I had you know, a chronicle, a, de- a designer who's amazing and could really make the words look awesome. Um, so 
it felt like a more exciting event. And then obviously it took a lot longer. So it, it was something that I wanted. Um, I didn't, I didn't want it for a while. And then once I wanted it, I really wanted it. So it feels good that it's out there. Did you, what did you learn from their sort of feedback about your work? Because you've been producing work on your own um, and publishing it. I mean, if you, you know, you can call Instagram publishing, it's a form of publishing um, or blogging publishing, which is also a form of publishing for so, so many years. Um, And you've been doing that by yourself. Um, and mm-hmm. you've had collaborators on different projects, of course, but um, and Get to Work, of course, has a team of collaborators. But this is sort of a different thing I know from publishing that, you know, when you're working with Chronicle and they are going to be, you know, paying to print the book overseas and ship it and warehouse it and distribute it, they're putting in a significant investment. And so they're going to give you feedback um, mm-hmm. and help to produce it. It's really a team effort. So I'm wondering kind of what you pulled from their, you know, collaboration on this project? Yeah, I, I was, um, I was worried in the sense that you're right, you know, I've been publishing my own words for, at that point, 12 years, and no one had ever told me, I mean, you know, no one had ever given feedback prior to public publishing. Um, so I was, I was worried, you know, how will this go? Um, you know, will I feel embarrassed or something? And it ended up being, I ended up really enjoying the support. Like I really, was so grateful that there was other eyes on it. Most of the feedback that I got, I mean, there's of course like little tiny things or, you know, I guess not tiny, but there's lots of little things where I messed up, you know, words or sentences. Um, But as far as the content feedback, it was mostly like elaborate on this or we need more background on this or, you know, this flesh this out more. And I loved that. I loved having a second set of eyes because as you know, you know, a lot of what you're going to write a book about, you feel like, you know, and so sometimes when you know a lot, you don't know what you don't know. And so it was nice to have that second set of eyes say, at least like most people need more feed, more information on this. Um, so I, I really appreciated that. I think it got easier, like sending that very first draft was so scary of the first couple sections. And then once I had gone through a round of feedback, I knew what to expect. And so it was much better, you know, sending off the rest of the book. And then as far as design is concerned, too, because a lot of what you do is not just writing, you know, a lot of what you do is um, visually organizing information for people, you know, whether it's through a photograph or through um, scrapbooking or, you know, p- making a rubber stamp or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so, again, you're handing over this these words, but then their design team is creating the actual layout of the, of the book, if I, if I have it correctly. So um, as far as that piece of it was concerned, was that like, sort of nerve wracking for you? Or was it interesting to see how they did it? I mean, you know, again, with Get to Workbook, you have designers, but you chose them. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was a huge deal. Um, Because you're right, I've put so much out there, you know, over the years, I feel like I have a vibe, for lack of a better word, like people know, like what to kind of expect from an Elise product. And so clearly, I mean, the designer Kelly Galbraith did the design, and she's outstanding. Um, and I, I picked her because I liked her aesthetic and I knew she could do great with the book. But I did go through every page and, it, and, and say things like, oh, I, I wouldn't, you know, I would never use that graphic. Or um, there was like a little detail where there was a bulletin board and there was a little post-it note that said, call the vet. And it's like, I don't have a pet and people know I don't have a pet. I would never call the vet. You know, so, like <laughs> right. it, it, it can't say that. I can't say call the vet. Um in the first round of, of design, there were these like cute little animals and doing things. And I was like, I don't like cute little animals like that. That wouldn't fit with what I'm doing. And so I I made sure to provide a lot of feedback on that. Um, which, and then like to see it come together was so exciting. And a lot of what I've done over the years is in black and white, like get to work book is black and white. And so having the book is in color and having it be so different than what I've done before, but also still look like me, um, was so satisfying <laughs> and I never could have done that by myself, obviously. And so it was so awesome to have yeah. someone. And now like, like you have this mug, right? And it, the yeah. mug is yellow and it's yeah, like, sure. I think it's yeah. like come back to you now, right? Cause you're right. Like black and white is you and it's kind of cool now to see like, well now maybe yellow is you. 
Yep. Yep. And you know what? What's interesting is like whenever, like on Couture Books feed is, you know, for sure, like on stories, it's always black and white. And then I'll add yellow. Like if I ever add um, an underline or an arrow, it will be yellow. And so to have this cool mug and that beautiful golden rod yellow is awesome. And I think I wouldn't, probably the reason I decided to create the yellow mug product is because it felt so much like me, you know, like there's a bunch of different things in the book that I'm not trying to turn into a product, maybe because this, this spoke as the most me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. So, um, I just think that that collaboration can enrich, you know, your idea of what, your words and, you know, your expression can become because you get a team's worth of feedback on it. So, yeah, so neat um, uh, and challenging, but yep, yep. <laughs> it's not like it's without, you know, stress or anxiety. But but it, in the end, um, I'm also really happy to hear that you're happy with it because, you know, not everybody is, but it sounds like the team that you ended up settling with, um, you know, was a good team for you. And so um, tell us a little bit about how this book came to be, because I also think it's always interesting how books, um, how book deals come to be. I think people assume it's really straightforward. Like I had an idea for a book and then I pitched it and I got it. Like that's almost never the way it was. So my understanding is that you like an agent heard you your podcast and reached out, but then it wasn't the right time or something like that. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, my agent, her name is Maria. She listened to my podcast or maybe heard an episode or two, and she sent me an email and was like, you know, I think you have a book here. And her her original idea was, you know, maybe there's a book about kind of what you've learned from doing your podcast. And my podcast was, you know, mostly talking to small business people and creatives and um you know, gathering a bunch of stuff, a bunch of information. And I wrote her back, or maybe we called and I said, you know, I definitely like, I would love to do a book that doesn't feel like the book. Like, I don't think that's the book that I'm like ready to write right now, but I'll be in touch. And then over the summer, um, I think of that year I did a, the hundred day project and I did a bunch of stuff with fabric and it, everything I could think of with fabric, you know, from quilting to stamping, to dyeing, to like sun resist, and I thought as I'm work as I was working on that hundred day project, I thought maybe there's a book here, some sort of book about all the millions of things that you can do to fabric. And so then I emailed her and I said, Hey, like, this is the book. Um, and she was like, you know, there's not a huge market right now for craft books, like keep me posted. And so then simultaneously I had been sharing this Instagram story about writing your five-year plan. And I shared the, I shared the Instagram story and was getting so many questions um, from people, you know, just via Instagram DM and I had answers for all of their questions. And I felt like I had a lot to say about setting, writing a five-year plan. And then I was like, okay, this is it. Like a book about goal setting, a book about getting stuff done. That's where my passion is. That's what I want to do. And so I emailed her back and I was like, okay, here's the book. This is it. And I had like a table of contents already. And she was like, okay, Michael, you know, we'll go with that. So that was, that was kind of how it came about. It was my second idea but it was definitely the better idea, um, ultimately. And I think um, often the book where you can write the table of contents in five minutes is the book. Exactly. I think so, too. And, and I think it's what I'm so grateful for is I'm not tired of goal setting, right? Like I wrote this book at this point, you know, over a year and a half ago, and I still feel like I could talk about this on and on and on and on. Like this is my... I'm like only 35 or however old I am. So it feels silly to say life's work, but this feels like the the thread of my work is goal setting. And um, no matter where I end up going or what I end up doing, I feel like I can always kind of tie it back to that. So it doesn't feel to me, it's not a phase, which um, is great. (laughs) It helps a lot. Yes, right. Exactly. Because it's you sort of the essence, Mm -hmm. um, which is important. And, you know, one of the challenges I think most people who've written a book face who have a public, you know, persona or audience, which pretty much at this point you sort of have to have in order to sell a book, um, is that, you know, a book is something that you have to delay the gratification of sharing. Um, And so um, you, though, figured out a way to share without sharing it all. So um, can you explain sort of what you ended up being able to do to share the process of writing the book 
um, while still sort of protecting the content of the book. Yeah, for sure. So in my experience as just a follower of people online, um, someone will, you know, they'll, they'll have an online presence, they'll do whatever they do. And then they'll be like, here guys, like I wrote a book, it's coming out in six weeks. And they'll like share a link to pre-order. And that was how I thought about book marketing. I thought it was something that you did quietly and then you announced and then you sold. Um, and that's so not interesting to how I work. Like I tend to share a lot of what I'm working on as I'm working on it. And so, you know, once I, you know, paired up with Chronicle and I was going to start working on the book, I asked that, I asked my editor, can I share, can I like tell people that I'm going to do this? And she was like, yeah, of course. Like you just can't give away the content. And so I made a huge deal of like, Hey, I got this book deal. I'm really excited to write the book. And then for, you know, months in the spring of 2018, I think that's yes, 2018, I shared on Instagram, um, as my word count went up, I shared, you know, as I'm walking around making edits, I shared kind of what I was doing that day. So today maybe I'm editing 10 pages or today I'm trying to get 2000 words on paper. And I, my goal was to obviously build hype, like get people interested. Um, also for me, I'm very, I, I work better when people, when I am held accountable by like a crowd. So if I said I was going to write 2000 words and I announced it to Instagram, I really wanted to write 2000 words. So it helped me stay motivated. Um, and then also I just wanted to show, um, how I took a big project writing a book and I broke it down and I just did it a day at a time. Um, a lot of my work is just reminding people that big projects get broken down into smaller steps and you just do the smaller steps. So it felt like a really good example of what I'm always trying to to share. Right. It was almost like a meta example. Very much. Of the content <laughs> of the book. Right. Yeah. Um, putting it into practice. So, um, so one of the things I think is really remarkable about you just overall is that you have managed to stay present online through so many of life's transitions. And because you were first online, you mentioned you were, you're 35. So you were first online when you were in college, um, I think. And now you are married, you have two kids in a business. And all through that time, and, and like how you've shared has changed, but you've been sharing consistently pretty much all the way through. And I just think that's really remarkable because there's so many people who have sort of come on and then left in that period of time. And I think we can all think of those people, you know, who like, oh, I used to follow her and where is she now? You know, like yeah. <laughs> they came and went. Um, but you're still here. And even though the platform might have shifted or, or changed, um, sort of, you know, the Elise that we knew then is, is really the same person. And so I guess um, I, I'm just wondering sort of how you think you've managed to do that, to keep, yeah. <laughs> to keep doing that, because consistency is really the key, um, I think, to everything, to, su to success. And, uh, and so I think people are really, but people find it to be really elusive. Yeah, I agree. I, so part of it is I think that, you know, I was, I was 20 when I started my blog and I was a junior in college. And because of that, like I, I feel like I became an adult and I grew up sharing online, not in the sense of like, you know, 12 year olds right now with YouTube accounts, <laughs> but in the sense that I learned how to process my thoughts. I learned how to work. I learned how to get a job. I learned all the things, um, while sharing online. And so it does feel kind of wrapped up, like it's part of how I process. And even like right now I'm getting back into my newsletter and it's so satisfying to sit at my computer and type out my thoughts. Um, because it's just, it's how I learned to be a normal human was by, was by writing. So I feel like it's just kind of, it's part of who I am. It doesn't feel hard. It doesn't, I, I don't feel like I have to like put on something to post to Instagram or put on something to send a newsletter. I think that you know, I, I have had people that have been around for a really long time. I have had people who kind of grew up with me, you know, who were in college and who right along with me got married and had kids. And so they've kind of followed the same path. Um, and obviously I've like picked up new people along, but I've never exploded. Like I've watched people come on and start a blog and go from zero to 700,000 followers, you know, in like two years. And 
that seems hard. I don't know how you figure out who you are with that sort of rocket growth. And I feel like a lot of mine has just been gradual. Um, and I've never, I've just kind of, I've, I've, I'm lucky in that because it's been so gradual, I've been able to just change and develop. And my audience has either stuck along for the changing or they haven't, you know? And, um, but it's, I don't know. It's hard to explain other than I just feel like I've, I'm, I'm confident in who I am because kind of, I've learned who I am from sharing. And I, so I think that that um, has, has been able to keep it going. I want to take a minute now to hear from our sponsor, VAWA, and VAWA's founder, Geetika Agarwal. I'm Geetika Agarwal, and my business is called VAWA, which is spelled as V-A-W-A-A, and it stands for Vacation with an Artist. Tell me a little bit about what VAWA is. Uh, well, VAWA is, uh, it's like a travel company, and we connect people with um, 70 master artists in 23 countries around the world for intensive one-on-one apprenticeships within, in the artist studios. Wow, so, that's super cool. And so people travel to that artist studio, and then what do they do when they get there? Yeah, so let's say you know you could go for a week-long apprenticeship with a grandmaster in um, Japan learning how to do calligraphy. Um, so this is your time uh, to be with the artist and really immerse into the art form, not just learning the skills. So you spend like you know roughly half day in the studio every day. So you are learning the different skills. You're getting to understand more about the art form. Um, you might take a break and have a go out into the city and have a meal with them. Uh, at the end of the day, you might end up meeting their friends. Um, you might even get to go to a museum. Um, if, if that's where they draw their inspiration or maybe there's a specific exhibition going on. So it's really kind of like a full immersion into their creative life. Wow. And so what motivates people to choose to go on a VAWA? Um, it, it really varies. Sometimes it's just about like getting out of a creative rut. Um, and you know, sometimes it's about you have dream ideas and projects and you, you, you know, you want to work under the guidance of a master artist to, to know how to do it. Sometimes people want to start their own craft businesses. So this might be a good stepping stone for that. And sometimes it's just like getting away from the day-to-day routine and, and finding new inspiration in a new place, um, and the, under a new master. Where can we go to learn more about this and um, find out if uh, we can book our trip. Yeah, you can go to www.bawaa.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Bawa um, or Facebook or Twitter. Thank you so much, Bawa. And now back to my conversation with Elise. And I think that you have a life philosophy. Is how I would describe it. Like <laughs> you have like an approach to living life that mm-hmm. um, includes being creative, right? Like making your own clothes, being creative with kids, just sort of, you know, having creativity infused into your life. It mm-hmm. also incre- it includes productivity, right? With goal setting and with getting things done and getting things accomplished with, you know, having a work in progress that you just finished just to have it finished so you can move mm-hmm. on yeah. <laughs> um, or just calling something quits because like you don't want to do it anymore and just failing at it and just saying done with that, moving on. Um, but you have kind of like a like a philosophy that you um, have for yourself and that you, I think, try to help other people understand and maybe adopt if it works for mm-hmm. them. And I'm wondering how you develop this or maybe you were born with it. Like, have you always had this or is this part of something that you sort of consciously kind of developed as you grew into adulthood online? Yeah, I think um, I think I was lucky. My parents were always you know, supportive, supportive of what my brother and I wanted to do. And um, they both worked, you know, they both had jobs and they weren't necessarily creative jobs, but they, um, you know, they, they encouraged us to do what we wanted to do. So I feel like I came from a really strong support system. Um, and then I think I just, 
have spent so long practicing trying and trying, like it relates to everything, you know, I'm trying something for, you know, sewing clothes, trying a new thing with my kids, um, trying something in my marriage, you know, trying to decorate a house, like trying to trying something new in my business. I'm just used to this idea that if I try, <laughs> it might work and that'll be great or it might not work. And that's not that big of a deal. And I think that's the thing that I see the most is in my DMs or in my inbox. Um, you know, it's just fear of this might not work, you know, and, and this paralyzing feeling of then what? And I'm kind of like, yeah, it might not, you know, but it's not that big of a deal. But I think that you you have to be able, you have to try a couple times and you have to see it not be that big of a deal in order to move forward. And so the only advantage I think I have is I've just for so long tried and some things work great and some things don't. And it's just not that there's not that big of a difference, but you have to do it yourself. I can talk about it all day long. And until you've um, experienced a little bit of or gotten a little bit of practice with that try and fail, uh, it feels really hard and it looks um, effortless. It looks like I'm braver or something. And I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think I am. I think I've just tried enough. So yeah. Do you ever find yourself sort of getting into that fear mindset and then having to push yourself out of it you know what I mean where you are feeling kind of too comfortable and then say like I need to go take a class in something that I'm scared to do or like I need to go you know try something that I'm you know really don't want to do just to sort of bust myself out of this yes I do I think that that's normal I think I um I find myself getting comfortable and comfortable is great like I, I think it's great to be comfortable um but after I've been a little too comfortable, I do need to kind of change things up um, and and give myself a new challenge. I think a lot of times I'll I'll do the same thing for you know a year or six months, and then I'll try something new and realize that it's um, that 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 feeling, like that feeling of not knowing what you're doing, and that feeling of working through it, and that feeling of like getting a little bit better, um, is so satisfying. Most recently I learned how to use illustrator. I mean like the basics of illustrator and that program is so powerful and learning in it was so fun. And that kind of reminds me that I can, I should look for those challenges. Like I should look to do something new. Yeah. And I am reminded of, um, when you gave up blogging. So mm -hmm. I know you still blog, um, but you used to blog a lot. I don't know if you blogged every day or you blogged five days a week, but you blogged a lot. You were mm -hmm. a really, really good blogger. Um, and then there was this day and it was a while back. Um, but there was this day where you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm just yep. not, I'm not going to publish a post at 5am. It's done. Like yep. it's done. Um, yep. <laughs> and, and I remember, um, there was like, um, there was a commenter, there's a lot of comments and there was one commenter who said something like, but I thought you loved doing this. Mm. And I remember thinking, but do you know, like to this lady who wrote that, like, do you know how much work it is to do that? Like, cause I've, I've been blogging since 2005 and yeah. I, and like, I know like to, to take these photos and edit them and put them on here and like, you know, and I use TypePad too, which I think is what you were using and like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to write all the text and edit all the text and publish it and like, and have a family like, uh, do you, like, yes, I love it too. But do you know how much work it is? Like, right. how yeah. dare you say I thought you loved it? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yes. But anyway, I wondered if you could talk about that decision, how hard it was, what it felt like to let it go. Yes, definitely. Um, so to the lady, um, I, I always want to be like, I did. <laughs> like, it's completely fine to love something and stop loving it. And, and that's so normal. And I think for me, um, I loved blogging. And then I stopped loving blogging. And I kept with it for probably six months when I didn't love it. But I kind of kept doing it because it felt like so wrapped up in who I was online. Um, if blogging had made money for me, like if I had really successful sponsored posts, I would have kept doing it at least for a bit because dude, like income, you know, it is important. And I would have, there would have been more of a reason, but if you don't love it and it's not making a ton of money, it doesn't make any sense. And so 
that I think not having it be a main source of income made it much easier for me to shut down. I was getting ready to have my second daughter. And with my first daughter, I really went through a really rough post, um, what it's called postnatal postnatal period postpartum um, yeah postpartum that's yeah, what I yeah yeah postpartum period and I did that all very publicly online and I wouldn't change it I'm glad I did that but I, man I did not want to do that again and um so I, I wanted to just enjoy my second daughter without being like here's how I'm feeling you know in a post so I think that that was kind of the catalyst that she was going to be born and I stopped you know I stopped writing I stopped pushing publish and I just felt great I described it in the post I went back and read this post recently I described it as like, I've been carrying this backpack around, you know, at that point for 10 years, I've been carrying a backpack and that was the blog and I took off the backpack and I felt so good. Um, and so that was good. <laughs> you know, I, I, I still get people down who are like, I miss your blog. And I'm like, Oh, you know, okay. Um, cause I don't, I, I don't miss writing. Sometimes I will. I mean, I, I miss writing and, and I'm kind of getting that now through the newsletter, but I don't miss anything about um, the posts or the 5am or worrying about comments or any of it, that part, I'm so happy to be done with that chapter. And now if I have something like a tutorial, that's extremely photo heavy, um, or I want there to be, you know, like a record of all the things I made in 2019 or whatever. I love that I, that I have it as a resource, but I love that it's not part of my routine anymore. Yeah. It's a lot. It's just a lot. Mm -hmm. I remember that backpack. Yeah. I remember that. I, I often equate the blog as this like hungry mouth that needs to be fed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sort of in transition with my own blog at the moment and not feeling like I have to constantly feed it. I have to say does mm -hmm. feel like a relief. So I, I, I do relate to that. Um, and so I, I but I, I have to say, I feel like um, that didn't stop you from sharing constantly. So I feel like Instagram was like made for you and that you mm -hmm. would use mm -hmm. it even if there was no audience there. Like yeah. even if Instagram wasn't a public thing and it was just like a tool that, you know, we had on our phones for our own private use, like you would still use it because it's just like, made for you like it's in the grid and it's yeah. photos <laughs> and it's got totally. like text like it's just sort mm -hmm. of like exactly I don't know it just seems like perfect for you and so yeah. um anyway I just wondered like is that where it shift like it, it just now obviously the newsletter and we'll talk about that but I feel like it shifted to Instagram it did. And that's actually a really good point is I, if Instagram hadn't been what it was for me in 2015, maybe I wouldn't have quit. Cause I do like, I like sharing. I, I, I do. It's very satisfying for me to share. Um, I love, as you said, a grid, I was doing photo grids in like, Oh nine. Right. You know, like eight. I know. <laughs> yeah. So organizing is, Oh my gosh. Hashtags around my projects is so satisfying for me visually. Um, and as a creator person. Um, so that's a good point. And, and I did definitely keep sharing there. I think what I liked about Instagram and what I still like about Instagram is I never got wrapped up in like the, you know, the quote unquote best time to post. Um, I never think about like, Oh, I didn't have a post today or, Oh no, I already posted today. I can't post again. Like that's not something I think about at all. Um, obviously like I use it to market my business and, and I use it to market my book, but I'm, I'm not nearly as crazy about like a 5am or whatever. Uh, post there. And so it doesn't feel the same pressure. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the hassle of editing photos and uploading them and spell check, you know, none of that exists on Instagram. Plus on Instagram, you don't have to say like, you know, go, go look at my post or swipe up or, you know, you can just, it's just there. It just kind of exists. And so it hasn't felt like as much work, I think, as the blog used to feel to me. So what is your process? Do you take your photos in your you know, in your camera app and then edit them. And it's like, where are you at? Like, tell us the process. And are you writing the captions natively in Instagram? Are you writing them elsewhere? Or how is this yeah. working? Yeah, I take my pictures. So I, I take 100% of my photos for every single thing I do on my phone. Um, I have an iPhone 8, 8 plus And I, I, I don't even know where my camera is. I haven't tested it out in so long. Um, so I do take them on the camera. And then I edit in a color story app. Um, usually there's like a few go-to filters that I use there that I think kind of, they maybe brighten my photos a bit and they maybe saturate a bit. 
Um, I don't think my photos look heavily filtered, but I'm sure some people could think that they do. And then I'm always like, my biggest thing is like, is this straight? I get extremely stressed out when my straight lines are not straight. So I'm always like tweaking, like, you know, tilting it or switching with the the angles to make it look as straight as possible. Um, I take the same sort of photos. If you look at my feed, you see I'm like holding something, looking down, or it's over a flat surface. Usually it's like my floor or it's wood or it's um, like a marble thing that I have. So they always kind of look the same. I take them. I'm always like shooting again for that levelness. Um, what else do I do? When, with photos of my kids, I usually like make them back up against a, a wall or like our garage door, or I take it from a little bit further away so you can see kind of like the house in the background, like the room. Um, I do a lot of kind of looking up with, there'd be a blue sky and then there'll be palm trees or a blue sky and like a rose. Um, so a lot of, my photos all kind of look the same, super on purpose. Like it's incredibly deliberate. And then as far as captions, it depends. If it's just, you know, like kind of a simple thing, I'll just type it right up into the Instagram app. If it's something more complicated, like I, I really have to get it right. Like if it's for um, my business or, you know, a bigger deal, like more of a paragraph of text, I think people struggle to read paragraphs of text. And so I will type it in the notes app and I'll put like a little plus sign between the kind of sen the sentences. And then that way, I think visually it's easier for people to read that instead of like so much text at once. Um, and Instagram doesn't let you put line breaks. And so you have to do it outside in a different app and then copy and paste in. So yeah, that's pretty much my thing. I don't, I, again, I don't have a certain time. I'm not one of those people that's like, I don't post on Sundays or I only post at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. Like that's not, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I think that if I spend too much time trying to worry about the algorithm, I'll lose my mind and I won't post. And so I, I just do it and some posts hit the algorithm just right and they get thousands of likes and some posts don't hit the algorithm right and they get 400 likes and that's fine. Like that's just, it's just kind of how it works. And what is a personal hashtag and tell us how you use them. Yes. Okay. Personal hashtags are my favorite. Um, examples would be, uh, my initials are my name, Elise Joy Blaha Cripe. So I use a lot of EJBC and then there'll be a word. So EJBC sews, EJBC knits. Um, I have family ones, like our last name is Cripe. So we have Cripe Christmas and that's Christmas photos from the past, you know, eight years of our family. I have Cripe Santa and that's pictures of my girls, um, with Santa, with Santa. I have Cripe chapter three, which is our new house. So it's all these pictures of our house. I have Cripe homegrown and that's um, everything from our garden and we're going to get chickens. So I still say homegrown, not like Cripe garden. Um, I have, those are big ones. I do ones for my girls, um, like their ages. And then at the end of their birthday, I print a book of like, you know, Ellery at five or um, Piper at three. And I print a book of those photos. Um, yeah, those are some, those are some good examples, but I have so many, I, I forget them all unless I'm like thinking about them. And people, so just so people understand, like, obviously you're the only person using that hashtag. So mm -hmm. this is not a hashtag that you're using in order to get found on Instagram. This is why I'm saying you would use Instagram even if nobody else was using Instagram. Yeah, this it would is... actually be better because then because no <laughs> sometimes people do post on my hashtags. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> you're like, why is your rando photo in my album? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is so that you can use Instagram as a way to find photos of your family. Exactly. And, and organize them all. And oh, so another one is like EJBC stand. And it's pictures of like the past five years where I'm like, I'm, you know, it's my feet in the frame and I'm in all sorts of different places. You can see the seasons change. You can see us like, you know, on trips and all different things. And yeah, as I said, for me, it's a catalog. Like I can click on that and I can see them. I have a decent idea of what I've saved things as. Like, you know, so if I think of a picture, I can remember what I hashtagged it as and then I can find it really quickly. Um, I love it. <laughs> right. And I think that love is important. I think it shows and I also just think it keeps you going. Um, so yeah, I think love, the, the love of the platform is super important. And I wondered how much time you spend responding to readers, whether it's DMs, comments, people who email you, do you respond to everything? And what do you get out of those interactions? Yeah, good question. If it comes through my email, I do respond. Unless it's like, you know, clearly something that 
was like a general send. It's like seven paragraphs and it's like, hello. And they, it's not to me. And it's like actually to me from a person. I always would respond to an email. Um, in my DMs, I try to stay on top of things. It's really hard. I, I could easily spend hours a day um, in my DMs answering questions. And so a lot of times I'll see it, depends. <laughs> on Instagram stories, especially, um, I'll post something and then I'll see like 30 DMs come in. And usually I will just take down the story then. Um, if I see that many questions coming in about a story, that tells me that Instagram story is not the platform for whatever I just posted. Um, and so maybe that means I'm just not ready to talk about it on more in depth, or maybe that means it could be a newsletter topic. Um, but it's always horrifying to me to see so many DMs come in about the same thing because I, I know I, I know I didn't do a good job explaining. Uh, I think I use questions from people to figure out what I want to write next. Um, a lot of what's in my book is just stuff that I had spent a lot of time over email, like talking people through, you know, or providing suggestions for. And so it was so awesome to give those answers like the time they deserved and, and turn that into the book. I think I'm already thinking, you know, in my head, is there a second book? And if there is, it's probably based on like a lot of the, the talking that I, I continue to do, you know, via DM or email. And I love, I mean, to me, like that interactivity is what's so different about a book versus the internet. You know, I mean, because it's like you said, you'll post a story and get 30 DMs and know you didn't explain it well enough or there's something about it. Right. And yeah. like you can't do that with a page of a book. No, you can't. Yeah. So there's yeah, that's like scary. It's as someone who's like created online and very easy to go edit a post or very easy to go clarify. Um, it's scary to have a book out there. But I think that was why it was such a goal like make sure I'm flushing things out as much as I can. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm glad to have both. Like I, I'm glad to have the instantness of Instagram and like the easy feedback. And then I'm also really glad to have this resource that I can say to people, you should buy my book. And I still, every day I get questions and I'm like, that's in the book. Like I promise it's in the book, you know? And, and so I'm glad that that resource can exist too. Yeah, absolutely. And you tend, as we talked about a little bit earlier, you tend to be a person who is able to make quick decisions. Um, and I think this is something that a lot of people get really paralyzed by. So um, so not only, like, as you said, you're able to just try things and, you know, and see how and, and fail and, and keep trying, um, but you're able to sort of make quick decisions, try them, and then give up on things quickly. Um, and I'm sure there have been opportunities that you've passed up on, you know, you've passed on, you've said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that one. Um, whether it's speaking engagements, other, um, you know, collaborations or other, just other things. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the criteria that you use um, to sort of determine, um, you know, which things you say, yeah, or no, I'm not, <laughs> that's not for me. Yeah, such a good question. I think that um, just speaking quickly to the idea of making decisions quickly, I just believe that there are hundreds of good options. Like I, I think there are 100 good options for everything. And so that helps me a ton because I don't have to go find the one. I can just believe that this thing I picked is one of 100 and that's great. And so that's, that's like a, a way that I would like to explain it to people who really struggle to make decisions is don't think that this is the end all and you might pick wrong, but it doesn't matter. Like there's hundreds of choices. Okay, so then on the what I decide to say yes to, whew, I think it comes down to a couple of things. Like you mentioned, you know, the fact that I could type up a table of contents and send that off meant it was the right fit. And so, you know, I get so many requests. And so a lot of times it's like, can I come up right now? Like right now, do I know how I would do this? Like maybe it will take me hours, but do I have a plan? Um, if that happens, then that's usually a good sign. Um, Things that involve travel, like it's got to be a lot of money, like a lot of money. Um, I I don't want to travel and leave my girls and like mess up everything for <laughs> a couple hundred dollars, you know, like, so I've gotten good at saying like, you know, this is what it costs. And if people say we can't afford that or we're not going to do that, that's fine. Um, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be a big public speaker because most people want you to speak for exposure and 
it's too difficult to travel all the time and like not, as I said, like, you know, not be there for the girls um, for exposure. <laughs> um, and so trying to get clear on what am I trying to do? Like, what will this opportunity potentially present? Um, I think about that a lot. And I, I just, I don't, I, I don't feel bad saying no, because I've learned that I feel so much worse doing 50% and, and kind of phoning in a project than I feel saying no from the beginning. And so that's really helped me um, get better and, and get a little bit stronger about my yeses and my nos. Yeah. And saying yes to those things that then leave you miserable the whole time you're doing them. Mm-hmm. And then my husband's like, why did you say yes to this? Please mm-hmm. don't do that again. Totally. And you get to do that once. Like, I think we all do that. We all say yes to the wrong thing and we feel terrible and we don't sleep and we're sad. Um, but we got to try really hard not to do that the second time. You know, don't, yeah. don't do it again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I'm wondering why you started your podcast because it's a really different medium um, than mm. your other um, very visual and word-oriented um, projects that you've been doing. Um, obviously, it's audio. We can't see you. Um, we just hear your voice. You're talking to business owners about their projects and um, sometimes you do solo episodes, but um, it's just a, a kind of a different um, way of expressing yourself and your brand. So I just wondered what was the impetus to start it and also kind of what's been hard about it, because I think that um, I hear from people quite often who are like, oh, I want to start a podcast. And I'm always like, that's a good idea. It's, it's a little different than you're thinking. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah, you know, I started my podcast in 2014, and it was the spring of 2014. So it was like pre-serial, right? It was before everyone had podcasts. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, honestly, I wasn't even listening to podcasts then. I don't know why I decided to do it other than I like to talk. I feel like talking for me is so much faster than writing because you get to add in uh, expression and people can tell when you're being sarcastic and you get to really go for it more with talking than writing sometimes. And so that felt really exciting at the time. Um, my podcast really slowed down this past year. We, we were moving and remodeling and I wasn't able to schedule interviews, but I think I also started to listen to a lot of podcasts, like a lot, a lot and really awesome, well-produced podcasts made me feel self-conscious and made me feel like, what am I adding? You know, like not just, just specifically me. Like I know that for every, everyone adds something to someone, but I, I wasn't excited about it enough to like think through those things. And so I've struggled this past year with like, what am I doing? Like, do I want to be in this space? Um, I feel very much like 50% 50% in, I don't feel 100% in. And as we talked about, like, is that enough? You know, so those are the kinds of things I think about right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's hard. Um, it's mm-hmm. difficult. And and it's it's more work, I think, than, than sometimes we anticipate. And also, yeah. I, I, I agree yeah. around sort of thinking about there's different genres of podcasts, right? There's these very well-produced shows. And then there's interview shows like this one. And yeah. they're, they're really different. Um, and they take a lot of different resource levels um, and not all of us can afford to or want to create um, that kind of super well-produced um, gimlet, you know, and exactly, style exactly. show. Um, but that, I don't know, right? I hear you. I, I, yeah. I, I think about that as well. Um, so I know you made a lot of different kinds of products before you arrived at Get to Workbook, um, which is your, your planner. Um, and I, I wondered what you learned from, I remember the wooden ampersands, there was plant stands, there was lots of different things. There was knitted blankets. Um, what did you kind of pull from those experiences, um, that you sort of ended up applying to the business that you have now? Yeah. So the year before I launched Get to Workbook, I did a project called Make 29, which is what you were referencing. And I sold products in editions of 29 or 290. And up until that point, you know, I'd sold kind of one-offs or like a big day would be like 18. And when I did Make 29, suddenly like 290 ampersands sold in an hour. And I had to get those all out the door, you know, and um, that kind of opened up this idea of 
batch shipping, like in a real way, um, making that something that could work. And so that helped me kind of prepare for get to workbook. Um, it, I think coming up with like the, just the little branding for make 29 was so fun, like little thank you cards and stickers. And I did so much to make that project, uh, fun to ship and fun to open. And I think that sort of inspired get to work book, um, even just staying on top of a project like that. So releasing one product a month for a year, um, staying on top of that, organizing that, making that work helped inspire get to work book because a lot of what I did in that project was learn how to set goals, learn how to break it down, um, and stay organized. And then that turned into get to work book, which was great. Um, so I think, I'd, I'd clearly been building, you know, I'd clearly been selling things and trying things for a long time, but make 29 clicked. And then make 29 was what allowed me to grow into something bigger, which was get to work. Right. And then you spoke at the world domination summit. Um, mm-hmm. I remember that speech and, and there was, um, you know, that, that sort of, I think was the, I don't know, the clincher maybe, um, yeah. or, or yeah. something like that, um, yeah. that sort of led you to decide to start this business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I at that event, I spoke about making bold statements and uh, trying things and kind of going all in on a project. And it clicked for the people in the audience. I think it clicked because there was a, like famous people there. There was like big authors there. And no one had ever heard of me. No one knew who I was. Um, and I just got lucky that they let me talk and they, but it clicked and people in the audience were like, I appreciate what you're saying. And that made me feel like, okay, cool. You know, like there's a market for this. People are interested. And at the time I didn't feel ready for a book. I I hated the idea that a book, you know, I could write a book right now. It would take a year and a half to come out, but get to work book, like creating a planner was something that I could do right now, you know, And, and I could launch earlier. And so I came home from, WDS feeling fired up and then it ended up, you know, that, that was like the steam that, that launch get to work. Yeah. But I think that it's important for people to realize that get to workbook wasn't an overnight success. Just, I mean, and I think that's why I wanted to talk about it after all of what we already spoke about, (laughs) just because I think that sometimes people sort of come up with an idea and want to launch it. Um, and just don't have like all of the audience and all of the sort of experience that um, came before this that allowed it to to actually like get out there in the world and there be a market for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I could have never just been like, you know, no online presence, never shared anything and just been like, here's my planner. Um, I mean, some people obviously do do that. But I think part of what worked for Get to Workbook is I had spent so much time just sharing, like goal setting, sharing projects, like sharing my breakdowns, um, that people were willing to take that risk and try it. And definitely over the years, like some of the people who tried it that first year, it never came back. And that's planners are hard. Like finding a planner that works for you is really tricky. Um, but other people, you know, some people have stuck with it for the whole five years and some people have, you know, come on and had a friend introduce them. So that's helped a lot. Like get to workbooks, sales are 100% due to Instagram. Um, I don't do marketing. <laughs> um, it's word of mouth. And, and that's, I've been lucky. Like a lot, planner is so personal. And so if you can find someone who loves their planner and they tell you about it, um, that can really help a lot. Yeah. And I think at the beginning, right, when it first launches people who are out there who are buying it because they want to buy into your way of life, like we talked about, and your like sort of enthusiasm and your creativity and your um, way of sort of um, making quick decisions and setting goals mm-hmm. and being productive and all of that. But then when it comes down to it, they actually need to use it. And right. as you said, it's really a personal um, product in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's black and white. So it is a palette and you can do with it what you want. You can mm-hmm. paint it and put stickers all over it or keep it just, you know, with a pencil or, you know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's very much something that you make your own and it yeah. has to work for you. Um, exactly. yeah, for sure. Um, and recently, so you, let's talk about the newsletter. You've revamped your newsletter recently mm-hmm. and talk about why I, so I'm a huge newsletter fan. Um, and so talk about what, um, prompted the newsletter sort of coming back to life and what you're yeah. doing with it. Totally. So I, I know the stats, <laughs> like I know that a newsletter is the place that you need to actually be because 
there can't be an algorithm change on your newsletter. Um, and you can't, you don't have to like pay to reach people through your newsletter. So I know the importance of having a newsletter, um, prior to, so long, so I've known that I've had a newsletter since, um, maybe 2012, I think is when I started it. I started through MailChimp and through MailChimp, I had a couple different lists. I had, um, get to workbook and then or I had a get to workbook and then I had Elise Joy. That's my personal one where I send out on everything that I'm working on. And as my newsletter lists have grown, my MailChimp expenses have gone way up and I was paying, you know, 175 bucks a month. And that's great. But <laughs> this past year I've been looking at expenses and realize what am I doing? Like, I don't want to pay 175 anymore. And I've found a different um, newsletter provider called Flowdesk and they're new and they're kind of in beta and they have they, their whole gig is it's 28 bucks um, forever no matter how many people you have if you have a million people it's 28 dollars a month and so I was excited about that idea I switched over to them um, and then it was like something clicked and I realized like I can grow this list as big as I want and I'm never going to pay more money and that made me so inspired and that made me want to get more followers on the newsletter. And I felt like part of how you can do that is to like build hype, which I'm working on doing. But another part of how you can do that is just having really good content. And so I've started to use just the past two weeks. Um, I've started to use my newsletter as a place to write like a much longer letter, um, you know, about the business or expenses or where I'm at or what I'm doing. And there's going to be so much more. I'm so excited to share a lot of things and it feels kind of like a blog post, but it feels more intimate. Um, and unlike a blog post and a newsletter, I can tack on a few different things at the end, right? Like I can say, here's what's happening. I get to workbook or here's this book I'm reading, you know, with an affiliate link or whatever. There's a lot more ways for me to generate income through a newsletter than there was from the blog. And so that's also very motivating and, you know, makes me inspired to, to do it more often as well. Yes. I'm a huge, massive newsletter fan and, um, and you're giving up the warehouse. So, um, yeah. So, which is like a really big decision. And I, um, I, I applaud your like willingness to share, you know, some of the financial realities of how much money it costs to rent a warehouse and how much money you'll save by not renting a warehouse. And, yeah. you know, it's extremely expensive. And I think people who've never done it don't appreciate or understand it. And I've never done it. So I didn't understand it completely. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, of course, this seems like, wow, um, really expensive. And however cool it is to see the warehouse and to see the quote on the wall, etc. It's also really cool to not have to spend that amount of money. So yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah. yeah. So I I mean, anyway, I, I just thought like, that was it was great to read it and, um, to get that insight. And I mean, I don't know if you felt like it was risky to share it or how you were feeling. I did. I um so for for folks listening who didn't see it last in my last newsletter, I, I mentioned that I'm gonna I currently have a warehouse for Get to Workbook and I'm gonna bring the business home to my garage because it's not growing. It's not it's not like dead, but it's not growing. And so it doesn't make sense to spend twenty seven thousand dollars a year on a warehouse space. And so I sent that newsletter and um I felt just sick, just literally sick to my stomach. And I got a, you know, went on Instagram and I got a DM from a girlfriend of mine who had just read it. And she said, you know, great newsletter. And that helped. (laughs) Um, And then I got some really nice comments, you know, via email after. And that helped, too. I had one comment from a woman who was so sweet and so supportive. And she said, you know, you didn't have to tell us this. Like, you could have just moved the warehouse home and never said anything about it. And she's totally right. You know, I didn't have to. But that made me think, like, I don't have to tell anyone anything. Like I could just pretend that it's all beautiful and um, my business is thriving and my kids never fight and, you know, I never had any postpartum struggles and it's all wonderful. Like I I could just fake it if I wanted to, Um, but I'm so not interested in that. And I, I think that, you know, we talked about like how I've been able to kind of adapt online or stay, you know, successful or interesting or whatever, as long as I have. And I think it's because, um, I'm just, I'm not interested in a lie and I'm not interested in like this false idea. I I think that my goal is just to be like, you know, 
is just to share that you can be successful and have setbacks and you can be happy and struggle. Um, and I think that that's just kind of been what I'm always trying to share. Yes. And I think that that's why people stay along. Mm-hmm. That's what why people stay along for the ride. And she's right. You didn't have to share it. You, and you're right that you don't have to share anything. And, and the reality, too, is that you don't share everything. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, I know that if we were to actually follow you throughout the day, there's plenty that you don't share. Um, so it is curated. I mean, as you said, all your photos look the same overall, and it's super intentional, but your life doesn't all look the same. So, <laughs> yeah, you know. If you see my camera roll, it's not the same as my Instagram feed. <laughs> correct. Yeah. And you saw, yeah. if you saw the real, real life, it wouldn't look that way either. So, you know, right. there you are. Exactly. So, okay, I want to make sure we get to your recommendations. And your first recommendation was Flowdesk, which we've already talked about. And I have to go check them out because I'm, I'm always super interested in email service providers. And I haven't actually heard of them. And I'm wondering about that revenue model. So they're saying that they can offer you $28, lock that in forever, no matter how huge your list grows. But I'm wondering how they're going to continue to make money. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're definitely in beta. I'd be curious if if you sign on now, how that would potentially change. Like, I mean, I don't know, maybe in two years, it won't be like that for new customers, you know, mm. but, but that's where they're at now. Um, something that is interesting I've noticed is and this depends on your business. Like I've noticed when I send, when I hit send on the newsletter, I think it takes like an hour for it to go to all of the people on my list, oh. which is fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not selling a like, get it right now. Like there's only 100, like right. that, that's not what I'm doing. But if you were, I think that could be a problem. So good to know. Yeah. Just as an honest, like that's something I've noticed. Maybe that's something they're going to fix. But right now I can tell that my email send kind of rolls. It goes out in batches. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people for my email, they're like, it better. I mean, yeah, because I sell an ad product and it better be there at 10 a.m. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. yeah. So th- that would matter for sure. And and like I haven't reached out to them to be like, is this how it is? Like, what's the deal? That's just what I, I you've kind observed. Of yeah, yeah. Just from the beginning. OK, cool. Um, another um, recommendation you have is a book and it's called Simple Geometric, um, Geometric Quilting. And I haven't checked yeah. this one out. Yes. So I, um, follow, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce her, Vasilico quilting uh, or something on Instagram. Oh yes. It's, um, yeah. like Va- Vaselino or Vaculino. Yes. And she yes. lives, um, she lives like in a, a trailer or yes. Yeah. They, they traveled around, her and her husband traveled around the U S in like an Airstream trailer and they just settled in Texas and they, um, they have, they have a house now in Texas. I think they're living in the Airstream while they get it all set up. Anyway, um, she does just beautiful quilts. Just Her name super, is um, Laura Preston. Yes. Yes. Super beautiful, um, modern, stunning quilts. And the book is gorgeous. And you can tell they were traveling the U.S. as they photographed the book because they're just – it's awesome. I don't know. I, if you I, if you Google, like, modern quilting books, you get some – some interesting ones. This one is really, really beautiful. Yeah, it is gorgeous. Um, okay, cool. And, and on Craft Industry Alliance, we did a profile of Laura a little while back. So you can people can check that one out too. So, okay, that's a super good recommendation. And I love modern quilting. Um, and then your last one is a, um, a tool, which is the foldable Fisker's cutting mat. Yes, I'm obsessed with this mat. I, um, I have like a regular, you know, I have a huge cutting mat that goes on my table, but I also have the foldable, foldable one, which I think is ideal if you're in a smaller space, if you don't have a preset, um, you know, if you don't have a preset space like this, like fits behind a couch, like really easy to stash and store. Um, I love it. So if you already have, if you already have like a rotary cutter or you're just getting into like cutting clothes, having a huge big mat like this makes a huge difference. Yeah. And this one's 24 by 36, which is really pretty big, but then it all folds up. And so you can like, oh yeah, cause it's, I see how it works. So you can fold it up and then it like stores flat. So that's pretty exactly. cool. Much easier to stash because a big, a big, huge mat like that, there's nowhere to put it. Yeah. Um, but if, if you fold it up, it's, it's nice. Yeah, totally. And they kind of get warped too, right? Have you ever had one that got warped? Like, if yeah, you... if, if I lay it, if I have it sideways, it always works. Yes. But yeah. Um, so this one, if you fold it, it won't warp up. Right. So, yeah, never leave your cutting mat in a warm place. Learn that the yeah. way. Well, Elise, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Today's episode was brought to you by VAWA, Vacation with an Artist. 
Vacation with an artist is a chance to learn from a master artist in 23 countries worldwide. It's an opportunity for creatives to develop a new skill, build a deeper understanding of the craft through immersion, and get out of a creative rut or work on a special project. Each studio session is private and tailored to your creative goals. Art forms range from ceramics in Slovenia, the art of denim in Los Angeles, or wooden toy making in Argentina. So visit VAWA.com, that's V-A-W-A-A, to learn more. Craft Industry Alliance listeners get an additional $100 off. Enter the code CIA100 during your booking request to redeem. Thank you so much, VAWA. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. So join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.